Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Will at ScheduleFly, and I've got Chris Dickerson on the phone today. He's down in Savannah, Georgia, uh, and Chris has an, a wonderful story. He he actually um, he has Corner Taco down in Jacksonville, and uh, Jacksonville, Florida, a couple hours south of Savannah. Started in 2011 as a 100-square-foot taco stand, and it's had an interesting story since then, and, and uh, really cool fun growth with that business and now he's in savannah uh, and he's got squirrels pizza and burrito royale uh, both opening here in the next few months one in may one in july so he's got a lot going on he was kind enough to take some time out of the day to, to talk to us and uh share his story so chris thank you for doing that man yeah thanks for having me well so i mean you've got a, a really neat background i know you've uh you've kind of you've worked for a lot of really well-known uh people over the years and honed your experience and your craft and learned a lot about the business and then so tell me about um you know what led you to start corner taco in 2011 this little 100 square foot taco stand in an oceanfront bar in jacksonville and how did that get started and what happened with that because i know it it's all really big growth and it's done really well so give us a little bit of background on that story and then what led you to savannah uh to do what you're doing now well, I trained in five-star, five-dominant hotels, and I, I did a formal European-style apprenticeship program at the Cloister Hotel on Sea Island. Yeah. Three years, I made $300 a week salary for 80 hours a week plus, and it was mm. really rigorous and intense and I think the best way to learn. And then I worked for Little Mel and Aspen, and I worked for Nobu, and I loved the experience I got from a technical standpoint. But it just, for me, got to a point where it was no longer fun to perfectly brunoise or perfectly dice, small dice, uh, uh, a pepper. And, and so I just, I wanted to do something fun and real. And that I, what I really saw was a movement happening wherein food was becoming just more casual. And I think this yeah. is sort of the early stage of, of the better fast casual. And, and the thing, I, I took a trip. I, I left Washington, D.C. in 2008, and I took about three years off and just traveled. I spent a fair amount of time in Oaxaca, Mexico, and I really became enamored of the the just, just interior Mexican cuisine. The techniques were so unusual to me. You know, for example, when in Oaxaca, when they make mole sauce, they burn tortillas, they burn bananas, and it was just so – everything was so exotic and – and intriguing so i just went down that path and really i think it's easy to easier to exceed expectations when you do something casual uh and then do it in a some what a refined way like for example we make fresh corn tortillas every day have ever since 2011 even when we went to a food truck we still you know have a custom-made corn tortilla maker and it was just fun and different. We were able to do things like sour cherry tenderloin, things no one else, things no one else was doing. And and uh, so it was just it was easier to do my own thing. You know, whereas if you have a French restaurant, people expect certain things. You can't serve pho in a French restaurant. It's just whereas with Mexican, you got it's more of a a blank canvas. So that's, okay, yeah. I think that's what led to it. But I just wanted to I wanted to do seriously good food but with no pretense so that really was the driving factor gotcha so i mean how did you get so you had a hundred square foot taco stand in an oceanfront bar tell me about that well when i lived in dc i saved a, a fair amount of money which allowed me to travel but then i lost a lot in the stock market in 2008 and so i went from having a lot of options to much fewer options 
and no bank would loan me money because I didn't have a job, but I left my job voluntarily to travel. And I don't, you know, there's no way to devote time to a new business if you have a full-time job. So I had to get creative and I made a deal with, with the owner of the bar where, and he basically did the build out of this tiny taco stand in exchange for me being open uh, during basically unusual hours for a bar. And the idea, the bar was really busy, but they tended to do most of their business on the weekend. So they wanted to bring people in you know, during the off times, you know, 3 PM on a Monday, et cetera. So we just made a deal and, you know, we're shooting for a win-win and it was a great experience. It was, it's tough to do a business within a business, which is essentially what it was, but it was, we developed a strong following and just, that was what I had to do to make, make it happen basically. Okay. So then you grew that. And then, then a year later you, you, uh, you became one of the first food trucks in the South. Correct. So, okay. In a, yeah. In an uh, Airstream. Yeah. 1965 Airstream. And that allowed me to do something completely on my own, leverage the clientele that we developed, uh, but just do my own thing. And it's sort of like the whole live free or die motto. I wanted to do it my way or not at all. Ah, I and I, I've never taken investors always, and it's just allowed me the ability to do it, to, to think more long-term. You know, for example, we've never had fountain drinks. We've always, we've had Mexican Coke and, and, uh, we make our own cherry limeade. Whereas if I had investors, it'd probably, I'd probably have to water things down a little bit and certain things that I wouldn't necessarily be proud of. Oh yeah. That's a good point. That's exactly right. They would expect you to do that. Yeah, it would just be it would change the calculus and I'd have a third set of constituents. Whereas now I've got two sets of constituents, my my employees and my customers. And and they're both equal. I don't put one above the other. And if whereas if I had investors, it would be, you know, the, the investors would have a fiduciary responsibility to them first and then everything else would be secondary to that. So Yeah, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Makes sense. So you you uh you got the airstream and you guys built a lot of business and, and uh sort of a cult like following and big long lines and uh and then grew that and c- continued to grow that and uh and then you then what happened next well we like you said i was never the the airstream was never the long term the food truck was never that was always just a, a means to an end and i my former girlfriend helped me run it it was just the two of us to start and i could never have done it without her and we'd have like you said we'd have lines that were sometimes over 100 yards long and that allowed us to open a bricks and mortar have the clientele already built in. And that was, we went bricks and mortar in 2014. And, uh, so we've been doing that ever since 2014. Okay. Good deal. And, um, so you got that going and have been, you've been down there. What, tell me about, um, uh, well, first of all, okay. So you went from in 2011. So in three years where you went from a hundred square feet, to a truck and then to bricks and mortar. Uh, so clearly the business was doing really well and you were investing back into the business. And then, uh, are you, did you lease the space or buy the space where you are I, now? I leased it. You I, leased my it. preference. Yeah. My, my ultimate goal is to buy the real estate and, and maybe do a little bit of commercial development on the side, but I just haven't, I'm not at that point yet. I'm, that's what I'm working towards. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then why the, um, Okay, so you've got this really good concept and this good brand that you built and a, a great following, um, and there in Jacksonville, you've now you're in Savannah. I'm sure you're back and forth, but you must have that place running pretty well by itself. So you've got two different concepts you're opening here back to back, dude. That's a 
that's intense, first of all. So I want to ask you about that. Um, but also, I'm curious about Corner Taco and uh, why not take that brand and, and grow that brand, you know, in and around Jacksonville or and I mean maybe in Savannah as well. Or what's what's how you just you want to have multiple concepts to kind of um, hedge your you know future growth or what's it, what's the objective? Yeah, it's not so much a hedge. I mean, I've always had. I haven't been to Corner Taco since November and I've got really good managing partners running it now, people I've known for 20 years and they agreed to move here from, from South Florida. And so they run all the day to day. Okay. So you're not there at all. You, even since November, you said, okay. So correct. You, they're, yeah, uh, they're I mean, on it. But we've, we've always had pretty tight systems. But in the beginning, the systems weren't as tight as they are now, but for example, all of the recipes are in weight, not volume, so we can scale it. If you take kosher salt, for example, two different brands, Morton's Kosher Salt and Diamond Crystals, a little two-ounce souffle cup of one is overflowing, whereas the other one's not quite full. So you can't scale that weight-wise. You know, to go from a 10-pound batch or something to a 100-pound batch, it would be totally different, whereas if it's weighed, it's scalable. We also have a weekly mystery shopper. We have I have a customized daily profit tracker that my i have a virtual assistant she sends me every day uh, we've got a customized PL. like mo- apparently there's a statistic that more than 70 percent of restaurant owners misreport their food costs because mm. they calculate it as a percentage of total sales versus food sales so you know take quickbooks for example the template that the, the just the default is is really not a good restaurant P&L. So I've customized that over many years. And, and uh, so what well, I guess the overarching point is that I think modern restaurants have to be run as much by systems as people. And I think the harder it gets to find good people, the more incumbent it is upon us who run restaurants to have tight systems. And it, I, I never designed it with baking myself into the equation. I've always had it set up so that I could be free to do other things the other concepts but to answer your question the, the so initially i was going to do more corner tacos but there are a couple better mexican restaurants that have opened in savannah in the last couple of years and the neighborhood that i was really targeting in my view is somewhat saturated and i didn't want to be in also ran when we opened corner taco we were really one of the first fusion mexican restaurants and we just were were we're, we were unique. Whereas I, I don't feel like we'd be as unique in Savannah because of these other two places. And I started thinking about other, co- I've always wanted to do more concepts, but I didn't think I could afford the risk early on. Mm-hmm. But then exploring different, I've been looking in different markets and exploring different concepts that would work there made me realize that it wasn't as risky to do something different now as opposed to wait until later. So the ultimately, I think one of the reasons why so many restaurants fail is because restaurant owners are <clears throat> restaurant owners. We can be a stubborn breed, particularly chefs. And we, I think sometimes restaurant owners dictate to their clientele what they should want and what they should have, as opposed to dancing with what they also, it's, it's gotta be a dance. It's gotta be what the person's proud of serving the restaurateur, but also what their clientele want. And you, the trick is to me, it's not that hard to make money in the restaurant business. The real trick is making money in, having a good night's sleep, feeling proud of what you do. So it had, you know, for example, at corner taco, I resisted serving nachos. I resisted, resisted having queso. One of the reasons why is it's really like the vast majority of queso is made with canned, easy melt cheese, highly processed. So the way I reconciled that is we make our own white cheddar and brie fondue. 
which is very technical. It's, you know, if it's not made by someone skilled or it's, we, we only, we only let our, like my manager partner is the only one who makes that now. That's our only really finicky recipe, but it's, it's, uh, even a recipe is tight. It's a technique thing, but the, so I reconciled you know, what, what I was proud of doing with what the clients I wanted. So <laughs> I think that's a, that's a really important just aspect of of running a restaurant so that's an art though man because that's you know so you go back to talking about not having uh you know fountain drinks at the um you know which you would have had to have with investors but then well i don't know i mean that's it's an that's a tough one to figure out that's probably a, a, a fine balance between knowing what you're proud of knowing what you want to do um, knowing what you will and, and won't do versus what the customers are looking for or helping educate the customers on why what you're doing is, is, you know, better or, or you know, more meaningful. So, um, that's probably not an easy thing to figure out. I would guess. It's gotta be, a, and you bring up a good point. It's gotta be a nudge, not a shove. And ultimately it's gotta be a day, nudge, not a shove. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And ultimately at the end of the day, the difference between a, a, a brand and a label in my view, is that a, br- a brand has a belief system. A label is when you try to be all things to all people. Brands last, labels don't. Brands often have growing pains in the beginning, as we did, because pe- not everybody understands it. It's, you know, it's we what you say no to is as important as what you say yes to. And we, you know, we had people upset that we didn't have free refills on Coke. We had people upset that we didn't have Budweiser. But that's that's I, we we've never apologized for who we are, and and I never will. So it's uh yeah that's the but that's the real trick in my opinion. I mean, it, there's there are different forms of currency, and I'd way rather have respect than a bunch of money. And the the yeah, I just I, I want to feel proud of what I'm doing. Yep. Yep. And it, it's important for people to define success on their own terms. You know, society defines it as money, but it doesn't have to be just money. Like I said, respect is a form of currency too. It's more fungible than money. Well, yeah, I mean, you have to have enough, you know, again, it's a balance, right? You have to have enough money, but, um, but I hear what you're saying. I mean, you're not, you're not willing to say there's certain principles and things that are important to you that you won't sacrifice. And I do agree with you very much about brand versus label. It's a great point. I like the way you put that. Um, brands do last and labels don't. And, uh, saying no is, is very important. Um, and that's, I mean, in businesses, I mean, it's more about what, what you say no to than what you say yes to. You can keep saying yes to everything, and then you're kind of like everybody else, right? Right, at the end of the day. Yeah, everybody has queso. <laughs> everybody yeah. has nachos. Um, okay, okay, cool. Okay, well, I got to sidetrack a little bit. So, um, so you, how long have you been up in Savannah, and uh, why or why and how are you doing two new, two different concepts uh, opening soon within what two months of each other that's you must I mean I know you have good systems in place I know you have good people on your team but that's a lot to take on tell me about that well I moved to Savannah because because of my then newborn son his mother and I broke up uh, but we're great co-parents and so I moved 10 blocks from them and I see my son virtually every day and all day several days a week so that's the main reason that I came here, but secondary to that is the fact that I thought Savannah had tons of opportunity. It's the tourism is up from roughly 6 million people in 2012 to 14, almost 14 million people last year. And I mm-hmm. think that number is going to comp- continue to compound upon itself yet. It's there are a lot of restaurateurs here who haven't changed 
changed up the way they operate for 20, 20, 20 years. They haven't adapted to the new, the changing demographic, demographic of tourists, in my opinion. For example, there are a lot of restaurants here that are still closed for lunch. They're still closed on Sunday because that's what they did 20 years ago. But I think there's a ton of opportunity now. And it's still kind of ground level. And there's some really talented chefs here. Some, there's a great restaurateur community. And even though I've only been here not quite two years, I've been, I'm friends with most you know, restaurant owners in town or quite a few of them. And they've taken me in as one of their own and treated me really well. So the you know, there's tons of opportunity to rents here vis-a-vis Charleston or low. I, I have a 15-year deal on my my space for Squirrel's Pizza. That would be very difficult to come by in Charleston. And in Charleston, I'd also just be you know one more cog in the wheel, whereas here I feel like I could make a more significant significant impact. So that's the main reason I'm here. And and um, back to your question earlier, the wood-fired pizza, it's a combination of what I think the city needs, what I'm passionate about, i.e. live fire cooking, what I can afford. The input cost for doing a pizza place is less than a lot of other restaurants because you don't need a hood. You can direct vent the pizza oven to the outside. Um, so it's sort of all the above. I also think there's a lot of opportunity to do a new style of pizza. On the one end, you've got Neapolitan, which is what I think most people try to do in the U.S., some riff on Neapolitan. But Neapolitan, by design, is soggy because it's it has so much water and it's cooked. It has low protein flour and it's cooked at a high temperature for a short period of time. So there's a lot of what's it's uh, what's called spring. So there's it's it's puffy and it's soggy in the center. Uh, on the other end, you have Roman style, which is really crispy, like a saltine cracker, but there's no absorption of sauce or no more marriage of sauce into the dough. So I'm doing a, a, a my own style, which is somewhere between. Neapolitan and Roman, so it's going to be a crispier version of Neapolitan, and and um, so there's I just think that that's Savannah doesn't really have a high quality wood fired pizza. Actually, I don't know of any wood fired pizza place. There's one place that does gas fired, but so it's just what where the opportunities lie now. You know, if I were if I were somewhere else, and I might do something different. But and then the burrito royale, it's going to be basically a riff on Cora Taco, but mm. done in a burrito format. One of the challenges with doing tacos, I didn't anticipate is it takes so many touches to do high revenue. You know, the average taco for us is about $3 and 50 cents. So in order to do decent revenue, it just takes so many touches and it tends to burn out employees. Whereas with burritos, it's the uh, more revenue per unit basically. So that's one of the driving factors. And there's no, there's not a single place here that serves burritos. So we'll do things like really? sour cherry. There's not a single place, not, not a, the places that have one burrito, but there's no place that's dedicated to burritos except for like, you know, the, the usual chains, but we'll do things like sour cherry tenderloin with brie, uh, general so's chicken, blackberry general so's chicken burritos. So they're, they're unusual and they're fun for me. And we've already got the recipes and that's going to be from my, my airstream is going to be permanently parked at a food truck park. Uh, and so that'll be burrito royale. It's only, it's only two blocks from squirrels pizza so I can share labor, um, et cetera. Oh wait! So you're gonna have it? You have the airstream there? The airstream's here, yeah, and it's it's it'll be permanently parked at, at a food truck park that's not yet completed. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, um, man, you got a lot going on, my friend. But you seem to handle it very well. You seem to have a, a good plan. And uh, well, congrats, by the way, on being able to um, be there with your son and uh, make that work. I know that's that's just so incredibly important. And the fact that you've got a good team and good systems down there in Jacksonville and this is kind of running itself is great. So uh, you've done a lot of things really well. 
Um, Appreciate that, Will. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's very admirable, and it's hard to do. You you know, you just said making money in the restaurant business is not that hard. Yeah, well, I don't know. For you, it might not be. For a lot of people, it, it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. Uh, but you've, you've obviously figured out a lot of things, and, and you're able to manage a lot of information and process it and plan really well. So that's a big part of it. Um, and, yes, a lot of chefs are – stubborn um but you've also found that good balance of you know what's important to you and uh what you're willing to what you're willing to do and as you said sort of dancing with your customers um i like that so well tell me about um you so you've been in savannah for a while now but um as you come towards the opening do you i mean tell me about finding good people there you knew jacksonville you knew the market you were there for a while um how about the labor pool in Savannah is, is the restaurant. I mean, there's a lot of restaurants moving there. Um, talk about the labor pool there and how you're finding good people to help you run those two operations. Well, it's, it's tough everywhere, but I, just, I think it's less tough here than Jacksonville's been really tough. And why is one that? of the, well, it's, I think part of it is it's a very spread out geographically spread out city. Yeah. So people didn't, and, and, uh, it's there are a lot of people who won't commute more than f- four miles for work and so there are these little pockets but one of the unintended consequences of the economy doing relatively well is that jobs you know we're in the gig there's no way around it we're in the gig economy you know our parents working for general electric for 25 years for a pension that those days are gone you know yeah. pensions don't even exist anymore really so it's uh it's a gig economy that's exacerbated by the fact that the economy is doing relatively well. So people's jobs are more transportable. They can work in a place for two weeks and then find somewhere else that pays them ten cents more, and they leave oftentimes without giving notice, go somewhere else. So it's uh it's been really challenging. Um, but in Savannah there is because there's so many restaurants that have been here for so long, and there's some there's some fine dining restaurants, and because geographically it's very dense. There is a professional service class here that doesn't exist in many towns, at least in the South. I mean, there's, you know, that exists in New York and exists in Charleston, but Savannah has it too, <clears throat> albeit small. Uh, I've been talking to various people about – I want to hire a general manager who also is a chef, and I've been speaking to various people. Uh, but it's most likely someone I'll, I'll recruit from out of town. Um, so, and, and I'll really build the – I really build the the staff around that person. But one of the things I'm going to do, Florida, it's very expensive to employ people in Florida. The minimum server wage is double. The tipped wage is double what it is in most other states. Wait, say that again? It's the the minimum, you know, like the the tipped wage in Florida is like roughly five dollars and forty cents an hour, which uh-huh. obviously doesn't sound like, like much money, but you know, most people are making ten, fifteen, twenty bucks an hour on top of that in tips. Yeah. So. Um, Whereas in most other states, it's like $2.13. Yep. So my plan here is to pay the minimum server wage, and then I can pay roughly another $2.20, $2.50 an hour. So basically, let's just say double it uh, for benefits. And so I'm still a little bit lower than where I am in Florida, but it will allow me to track and retain the best and the brightest. So that's, that's the plan. <clears throat> and uh, it'll be – the menu is very tight, lots of cross-utilization. So we don't need a big staff, and my plan is to have a, a small, very motivated staff and pay them extremely well. Probably give them profit share. Uh, so, and and my my hope is I'm the manager with whom I'm 
speak one of the names of whom is speaking now that the, the idea would be to have the vast majority of his or her pay be in incentives i, I want someone to think exactly like me and i don't mm. as the owner i don't eat unless my restaurant makes money there's no backup plan it's just it's do or die and a lot of people aren't willing to take any kind of financial risk yet they want all the rewards so the you know, entrepreneurs manifest realities and i want someone entrepreneurial so the uh instead of offering a high base salary and a modest profit share or percentage of the profits my my hope is my preference would be to have a very modest base salary but a very robust profit share hmm. so that, have you seen that before um well i've seen it it's i i haven't damn I haven't. I very very few people who work for other people are are willing to take the same risk. Well, that's that's, why, that's the point, right? Because they're, they're that's yeah. you're you're an entrepreneur, and that's you're wired to take those kind of risks. Other folks are on a little bit more security, and it's a little bit harder to absorb. Uh, psychologically absorb that kind of risk yeah, i would guess yeah well, yeah that's the thing and for me it's i it's still dynamic I, mean, I, I plan on trying it in a new and different way but it's to answer your question i haven't i've seen, I, I know of it in theory i know you know that i think the managing partner model instead of having we used to just hire general managers but now the people that i have courtney and christine are managing partners and they're much more motivated by you know, they're they're doing a great job They've owned a restaurant before. So I think the managing partner model where they're essentially, you know, they've got, they don't have equity, but they've got a, you know, a robust, the, the potential to make a robust percentage of the profits, you know, 30% or more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a, you know, I think that's a good model, especially for someone who doesn't have, you know, maybe they're younger and they're ambitious. They want to learn and grow and, and maybe they don't have children. They don't have the same responsibility, but I've, I haven't had, I haven't had a salary job since I was, 22 years old 23 or no 24 years old so for me it's you know that's i love i love that motivation but it's it's it is it is hard to find someone who is willing to think in a truly entrepreneurial way but without it i don't see how you can people can can the owner's interests and everybody else's can truly be aligned yeah it makes a lot of sense well you probably you know the good op the good thing there is that you um you give an opportunity to somebody that does have a bit of an entrepreneurial mindset and it gives them opportunity to, to really grow within the business. And, um, it also probably helps you keep, like you could find people that have that mindset, uh, that maybe would only be there temporarily, uh, under normal circumstances because they want to go do something on their own. And now you've got somebody that maybe is, is part of it for the long haul. More vested. Uh, well, that's what, that's what I really want. And, and I think it gets the backdrop of it being a gig, gig economy. I think it is more difficult, but I'm convinced there's a way to do it. It's going to probably be some hybrid of a, of a, of a bunch of different plans. But I, th- I do think it's important that everybody's on the same page and everyone's goals are aligned. Like if, if, if and I, what I promised to my staff and what is true is if, if we do well, I promise everybody else they'll do well too. Like we'll be, I don't believe, like I'd be happy to give a huge chunk of the profits. Cause if, if I'm making money, if someone else is making money, it means I'm making money. Yeah. And to right. me, a good deal is when everybody wins, I don't believe in one person getting screwed and the other one benefiting, like everybody should win. So I'm optimistic, especially with blending in the healthcare thing. Like that's a big hot button for a lot of people and just generally having a fun place to work. Um, one thing I will say is, is that, 
when Corner Taco first opened, we didn't have enough rules. We had very few rules. And I, I'm someone personally, I don't need rules. Like generally, I've when I've worked for other people, I've needed them for the most part to get out of my way. But I do think that most people like some structure. And mm-hmm. without rules, it's just like the Wild West. So, and it's much, it's much easier to start those in the beginning than to reverse engineer them. Oh, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Although I'm sure you've got them, got them in place now. Um, clearly. Uh, it's been painful though. You know, it's like anytime we've made any kind of, like, even, even something as seemingly, you know, straightforward as no drinking on the job. You know, you can't have a beer until, until the restaurant closes, you know, it was before we had people have a, have a shift beer 30 minutes before the restaurant closed, et cetera. And all, all of a sudden when you take that away, it's much easier to, I think it's Jack Welch who said it's much easier to relax than it is to tighten. Like when you take something away, people feel like you're becoming more corporate when, you know, it was just, just good business practice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so a good point. So, so you're, you're, yeah. you're putting, you've learned what you've learned, you're taking what you've learned and you're putting it in place initially. Yeah. Just throwing it all down. And, and it's, it's so I, I, uh, and it, it can still be fun place and have rules. And in some ways, it's not as much fun if there are no rules. Because, like I said, it's just like the Wild West. You know, we need stoplights. We need stop signs. We need a basic framework of of systems and rules. Yeah, for sure, for sure, absolutely. Um, is- well, man, this is. Uh, I'm excited for you. You've really built a, an, an impressive business, and uh, I love your philosophy. I love the way you, you go about it. Uh, you clearly are, um, you're in it for more than just the money and you're in it to build something for the long term. and you've found a way to, uh, you know, be with your son. I mean, this is just a cool story, my friend. Um, really inspiring. More impressed with what you guys have done too. Oh man. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice of you to say that. We're proud to serve folks like you. Very proud to serve folks like you for sure. Well, proud so, to have the opportunity not, to share sorry. your stories. I appreciate it. You know, it's, it's, we, you and I talked about this before, but it's, it's, uh, the only way to ensure your future is to at least aspire to be the best at what you do. Yeah. And if you add value, even if it's a small amount of value, if you add value to your, your customer, then you'll do relatively well. And it's, it's, that's something I think is a lot of people forget about. It's not, it's really not hard. And if you're just thinking about from the other person's perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Totally agree. My friend. Um, well, look, I'll let you roll. I know you got a lot on your plate. Um, but this is a this is a great story. I can't. I mean, I just thanks, Will. Really appreciate the opportunity and uh, excited for you and um, proud to serve you. And I know everybody will. I mean, people are going to learn a, t- a ton. I could literally talk to you for several hours. I've got about a thousand other questions I'd like to ask you, but I do want to respect your time. Um, but I know people will learn a lot from you, and um, maybe we'll do this again someday. I'd love to wrap with you yeah. maybe in six months after you got the team yeah, up and running and see what it. you've learned. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for everything, Will. Hey, thank you, Chris. Have a good one. Have a good day. Okay, you too. Bye. Bye.